0: And we're looking at the crazy makers in our lives and how to deal with them. And today we're going to talk about how to resolve conflict. Uh, Conflict at work, conflict with a friend, conflict with your spouse, conflict with a neighbor, conflict with your pastor. And uh, so we're going to look at how to resolve conflict. You know, one of the most important skills you were never taught was how to resolve conflict. And if you don't learn how to resolve conflict in your life, then you're going to carry conflict in you throughout your life. And you're going to be miserable. Because conflict, uh, it, it just sucks the joy, it sucks the life out of you. And the problem is, your parents probably didn't teach you how to resolve conflict. Because they didn't know. No one taught them. You know, you went to grade school, you went to middle school, you went to junior high, you went to high school, you went to college, some of you went to grad school. I did. I never, not once, did I have one course or one class on how to resolve conflict just never taught it but the bible has lots to say about how to resolve conflict and so today we're going to look at seven biblical principles on how to deal with conflict now you need to learn this skill for a, for a variety of reasons three really important ones the first one is is conflict will hinder your relationship with god look at this verse here Romans 12 17 through 18 let's start there it says never pay back evil for evil to anyone when people push your buttons, you don't push back. As much as possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Now, I am so glad that God didn't just say, live at peace with everyone. God said, as much as it lies within you, as much as possible, as far as it depends on you, you live in peace with everyone. Because God recognizes, and we all recognize, that there are some people that you just can't live at peace with. They're the crazy makers. You know, uh, no matter how you try to appease them, you can't please them. You, you ever, ever meet anybody like that? Got anybody like that in your life? Don't point at them. It's always embarrassing when people point at each other. Well, okay. yeah, we've all got them. And, and so God says as much as possible, because sometimes it's impossible. As much as as far as it depends on you, because you can't control somebody else. You can only control yourself. So as much as possible, live at peace with everyone. Here's why. Three things that will damage your life because of conflict. First one is, it blocks my fellowship with God. When I'm in conflict with you, it disrupts my connection with God. I mean, that's, that's amazing, but it's true. In fact, God says that if you, you come to worship, and you come to worship in conflict with a friend or someone else in your life, God says you, you need to make that right. Before you worship, make it right with that other person, and then work on making it right with God. Because when I'm in conflict with somebody else, it blocks my fellowship with God. Second reason is conflict hinders my prayers. When I'm in conflict with other people, it affects uh, the effectiveness of my prayers. In fact, husbands, you need to know First Peter three seven. Write that down on your outline somewhere. If your wife's taking notes for you, ladies, circle it for him so he can see it. 1 Peter 3, 7 says specifically, men, that when you are in conflict with your wife, God doesn't hear your prayers. It blocks your prayers. If you're wondering, why isn't God hearing me? Why aren't my prayers being answered? Maybe it's because you're in conflict with your wife, because conflict hinders your prayers. Number three, conflict hinders my happiness. You cannot be happy and in conflict at the same time. When conflict comes in the front door, happiness goes out the back door because the two cannot reside together. That's the damage that conflict does in your life. So how do I get to peace? How do I resolve the conflict? Uh, Parents, write this down. Teach it to your kids. You will save them a lifetime of heartache if you'll teach them these seven principles. Number one, the first step in resolving conflict is take the initiative. You don't wait for them to come to you, you go to them. You be the peacemaker. You don't ignore, you don't deny the conflict, you don't pretend that conflict doesn't exist in your relationship, in your friendship, your workplace, in your marriage. What is it that you are pretending doesn't exist in your relationship? What is it that you are pretending that doesn't exist in your marriage? Conflict over money, over in-laws, over communication, over sex over children you know what are you pretending is not an issue and the bible says you need to take the initiative on it because conflict is never resolved accidentally you know you've heard the expression time heals all wounds well you know that can be true but that's not true when it comes to conflict when it comes to conflict time doesn't heal conflict time makes it worse Anger, when it's left undealt with, anger turns into resentment and bitterness. And that destroys relationships. In fact, the Bible says it'll destroy you. It says bitterness rots the bones. And we've all seen people who've let anger turn to resentment and bitterness, and it has ruined their life. It's pulled the happiness out of their life, and they become bitter. No, you've got to deal with the conflict. You've got to take the initiative. Now, there are three things that you're going to have to deal with if you're going to take the initiative. And the first one is fear. You're going to have to overcome your fear of confrontation. You know, when you're in conflict with somebody, oftentimes we'll talk to everybody else about the problem before we'll talk to that person. You know, you'll talk to your coworkers, you'll talk to your friends, you'll talk to your small group, you know, you'll talk to everybody but the person you've got the problem with. But the first thing you've got to deal with is you've got to come over, overcome your fear of that conflict. People say, I I don't want to deal with conflict. I'm afraid. Well, nobody likes conflict. Nobody likes conflict except crazy makers. If you like conflict, you're a crazy maker. But if you are afraid of conflict, guess what? You're normal. You're normal. But you just need to overcome that fear. You know, guys who have fought in wars, guys who have won medals on the battlefield, turn into jello when their wife says, honey, we need to talk. It just strikes fear in the heart of a guy to hear that. You know, what have I done now? But the fear of, the fear of conflict is as old as Adam and Eve. I mean, it is as old Adam and Eve blew it in the Garden of Eden, their relationship with God was broken, and their relationship with one another was broken. You know, they're hiding after they sinned. They don't want to be near God. They cover themselves up to, to hide themselves even from one another. They don't want to face the reality of the conflict. And Adam said in Genesis 3.10, he says, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid. I hid. You know, nakedness there means uh, I was vulnerable. I was exposed. You could see everything about me. You knew what I had done was wrong, and so I hid. And men have been hiding from God ever since. And men and women have been hiding from each other ever since. Why? Because when there's conflict, you want to cover up. The fear of conflict is really the fear of being exposed. It's the fear of being vulnerable. And that makes me defensive, distant, and demanding. Defensive, distant, and demanding. Does that describe you in any of your relationships? If so, at the heart of that is conflict. And the fear of conflict will keep you from connecting with those you love the most. You know, the truth is you don't really fear the conflict. You you fear the emotions of it. You you fear rejection. You fear being misunderstood. You're afraid that that, that if if you bring the issue up, what you say and what you do will be held against you later. So where do you find the courage to take the first step? You know, only courageous people resolve conflict. Cowards never resolve conflict. Cowards run from it. Cowards hide from it. Where do you find the courage to face it? Second Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. That fear you're feeling, that's not coming from God. It's coming from inside yourself. God gives us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. If I let God fill my life, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be timid in, in face of conflict. I'm going to have a spirit of power and love and self discipline, self control. You know, when, you, when your love is greater than your fear, you'll move ahead against your uh, conflict. When you're filled with God's love for that other person, you will move in, against the conflict. You're going to have the courage to move ahead. So, so don't pray for courage. God, I need the courage to face this conflict. No, pray for love. God, give me your love for that other person, and the courage will come. Now, you, you already know, even as we've gotten this far into the message, you already know who you're in conflict with. Somebody's a name has popped in, a situation has popped in, and you already know who it is. I would encourage you, you just, just pray, God, give me your love for that person so I can move ahead. And you talk to God before you talk to them. And you certainly talk to them before you talk to everybody else. If you talk to anybody else about somebody else, that's gossip. So you talk to God, and then you talk to them. So you've got to deal with your fear. If you don't deal with the fear, you're not going to take the initiative. Second thing you have to deal with is the timing. The timing. Because timing is everything in conflict resolution. You've got to do it at the right time. And so you say, well, okay, then when they come to me, I'll deal with it. That'll be the right time. But no, that's a cop-out. You know, you, again, you don't wait for them. You take the initiative. It's always my first move in conflict management. God expects you to take the first move. You know, Jesus said in Matthew five twenty three, if you're standing before the altar in the temple, if you're at worship, if you're doing what you're doing right now, You suddenly remember that somebody has something against you. It's not that you remember you have a problem with them. You remember they have a problem with you. He says you leave your offering there beside the altar. Go at once and first be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your offering to God. Reconciliation has a higher priority than worship. Wow. Reconciliation has a higher priority than worship. I mean, you like to worship, you like to sing, you like to hear God's word, well, good. But God says there's something more important in your life than that, and that's reconciliation. In fact, God says if you come to worship and you're in conflict with somebody else, he says leave your gift at the altar. You don't take your gift with you. Just because you're in conflict doesn't mean you get out of the giving part, okay? So you leave your gift, you go and make it right, and you come back, and then you restore your relationship with God. Now, Christ is saying here, don't ignore it. It doesn't matter if you're the offended or you're the offender. You need to take the initiative, and you need to do it as soon as possible. You don't postpone it. You don't delay it. Some of you have been putting off conflict for weeks, months, maybe even years. You don't do that because it'll take root, and it'll destroy the happiness in your life. You've got to take the initiative. You've got to plan a sit-down meeting. Now, how do you plan a sit-down meeting with somebody that you're in a conflict with? Four things you need to do. You'll just have to scroll this on the outside of your outline somewhere. Number one is you choose the right time. Because, again, timing is everything. Now, when's the best time to have a meeting to resolve conflict? Well, the best time is when you're both at your best. And when you're both at your best is when you both have had your rest. A lot of conflict in marriages happens because we're so tired all the time. And in fact, one of us is tired when the other one's not. And, and that's a recipe for conflict. And so you need to make sure you've had your rest. You know, if you're going to deal with somebody at work, you, you've got to make sure that the timing is right. You know, you can't do a surprise attack in the elevator and expect to get it resolved before you get to the next floor. You've got to choose the right time. And you may be ready to talk about it, but they may not be. And so you, you've got to both be ready. Next, you've got to choose the right place place where we can be relaxed, where we won't be bothered, where the kids won't interfere. Maybe they're asleep or even out of the house. place where we can speak frankly, where we can show our emotions. You choose the right place. Third thing you do is you pray before the meeting. You say, God, I am, I am afraid to do this. I need you to fill me with your love so I'll have power, so I'll have self-discipline and control. And some problems may take more than one meeting, and so you pray before each of the meeting. You bring God into the process. That's what prayer does. It brings God into the conflict resolution process. And that is crucial. And number four, you come with a positive attitude. You come with an attitude of reconciliation, not an attitude of attacking the person. You come with an attitude of wanting to fix the problem. You don't come to demean, demand, uh, or disagree. You you come because, hey, we want to get along on this. Why should I take the initiative? Why can't I just wait for them? Because Jesus commanded it. Because when I don't, it breaks my fellowship with God. It hinders my prayers. And I'm not going to be happy until I deal with the issue. So so just think of, who do I need to resolve conflict with? And then just say, God, right, right, I am scared to death. God, I, I ask you to fill me with your love. So I'll have the courage to take the initiative. Second principle, I confess my part of the conflict. You know, your boss may be 99% wrong and you're 1% wrong. That's probably really not the ratio, but let's give you the benefit of the doubt, okay? He may be 99% wrong and you're 1% wrong. You begin by confessing whatever your part is. You know, you don't start with condemning, accusing, attacking, and blaming. You begin with humility and confess your part. Jesus says, why do you notice the little piece of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye? First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your friend's eye. You know, humility is starting with my part of the conflict. I just start by asking questions. You know, do I have any part in this? Am I being unrealistic? Am I being insensitive or oversensitive? Uh, Am I being ungrateful in this relationship? Am I being too demanding? And you identify whatever your part is and you confess it. Because relationships, marriages, friendships, uh, any relationship will die from inflexibility. It will die when someone won't take the initiative to resolve the conflict. It will die when someone isn't humble enough to confess their part. And a relation, relationships can just get stuck. Sometimes you're just stuck. You can't get on with it. You can't get out of it. You, you just feel trapped with where you're at. How do you break a relational logjam? Humility. Humility will break a relational logjam. You just confess that, you know what, I am I am sorry. This is my part of what's been going on, and I, and I admit it. And that'll open it up to resolution, because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Third principle, if you're going to resolve conflict, you listen for the hurt. If someone's hurting you, it's because someone's hurt them. It may be you that's hurt them. It may be somebody else. But someone has hurt them. That's why they're hurting you. And so you've got to listen for the hurt. You know, even bosses have hurts. You know, even grumpy neighbors have hurts. And so you've got to listen for the hurt. Ladies, let me, let me give you a little secret about guys. Uh, guys, tend, we tend to hide our hurt behind logic. You know, when we're in conflict and we get hurt, we don't say, I'm hurt. No, we say, here's seven reasons why you're wrong. And here's my chart with arrows and graphs and bullet points to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. That's what we say. We don't say I'm hurt. We say you're wrong. But you've got to listen for the hurt. Truth is, all conflict comes from the hurt in our lives. So how do you hear their hurt? Well, James 1.19. Let's read this out loud together. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. See, if you're going to listen for the hurt, you've got to listen. You are quick to listen. Two ears, one mouth. You listen twice as much as you talk, and you will hear the hurt, and your conflict will go down. Listening is the key to resolving conflict, especially if you will listen for a person's hurts, wounds, fears, and doubt. And then deal with those rather than attacking the person. That leads us to number four you consider their perspective. You you know, you put yourself in their shoes, you see it from their viewpoint. You know, you intentionally shift your focus from your needs to their needs. You shift from trying to win the argument to trying to resolve the conflict. And you do that by getting their perspective. Man and his wife had a fight on their way to a friend's wedding. They entered the sanctuary, sat down. They sat down intentionally with a chair between them. And they're sitting there before the wedding, and the husband tries to point something out uh, to the wife, and she just stoned, just straightforward, won't pay any attention to him. And the tension between them is just obvious. It's as obvious as the empty chair between them. And partway through the wedding ceremony, the pastor says, there are very few things that are worth arguing about. And even if we do argue, we've got to learn to forgive. And the man and his wife looked at each other briefly and then looked straight ahead. And about 20 seconds later, the guy moved over into the empty chair. See, that's the question in relationships. Who's going to move over to the empty chair? Who's going to take the initiative? Who's going to consider the other person's perspective? Philippians 2, 4, and 5, each of you should look not only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. I mean, how do you consider another person's perspective? Well, there's a key word in that verse. It says each of you should look not only for your own perspective. And that word look in Greek is the word skopos. It's the word that's at the heart of periscope and microscope and telescope. You know, it means to look intently. It means to look at the details. It means to look at the broad picture. It means to look around. You scope out what the reason for the conflict is. You get the other person's perspective. You are most like Christ when you pay attention to other people's needs. You learn to look with the eyes of Christ. That will resolve your conflicts. Fifth, fifth step, very important. You've got to tell the truth tactfully. You speak the truth in love. If I'm not speaking the truth in love, then I'm on the wrong side. Because you don't beat people over the head with the truth. You love people with the truth. Proverbs 12, 18, reckless words pierced like a sword. You ever been pierced with reckless words? We all have. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Reckless words wound. Wise words heal. And you have to choose which words you're going to use. Never get your point across by being cross. You're never persuasive when you're being abrasive. Truth without love is rejected. Truth wrapped in love is received. And so you tell the truth tactfully. Ephesians 4.29, do not use harmful words, but only, circle the word only, only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what is needed. So when I'm in conflict with another person, the first thing I need to ask is, is, are these words that I'm about to speak, are these words going to hurt or help? Are these words going to build up or tear down? Are these words going to build walls or build bridges? what are my words going to do you know is it persuasive or abrasive and that's learning to attack the problem rather than attacking the person and most of us never learn that we just don't learn it and so that leads to number six principle number six is I must fix the problem not the blame usually in conflict we expend our energy trying to fix the blame on whoever is wrongest Okay. You've only got so much energy. You do not have enough energy to fix the blame and fix the problem. So you've got to pick which one do you want to do. Do you want to fix the blame? Do you want to fix the problem? Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Which one? You need, you need to establish ground rules in your relationship, especially in your marriage. If you're a young married couple, do this early. It's never too late to do it, but do it early. And just establish some ground rules. Just, just say, this is how we're going to fight fair. And then just follow them throughout your marriage. You know, there are just some things that you never, never, never say in a marriage. Some words are just too destructive. They're WMDs. They are words of mass destruction. You know, divorce is a word of mass destruction. Threatening to walk out, that's destructive. You know, dragging your parents into the conflict, that's destructive. You establish boundaries. We're, you know, we're just not, we're going to agree that we're not going to say this. No matter how angry we get, no matter how upset we are with each other, we're not going to use these words, we're not going to say these things because they destroy the relationship rather than build it up. The Bible's very, very specific about what's out of bounds. Just one example is Colossians 3.8 eight. Colossians 3.8, you must rid yourself. Notice this, it is not optional. You must rid yourself. You know, these are off limits. Of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. What comes out of our mouth in conflict? What comes out of our mouth when we're, when we're in, in a fight? Anger, rage, malice, slander. Filthy language. The Bible says you need to take that out. It's off limits. You know, you, you, don't, you don't try and intimidate through anger. You don't threaten through rage. You don't use malice and slander. Uh, no insults, no name calling, no belittling. You know, when, when you belittle, you're being little. You're showing people how little your heart is, how little your character is. You know, little people belittle, great people make other people feel great. Romans 14, 13, Let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. You know, the reason why we fix the problem instead of trying to fix the blame is because when you're fixing the blame, you're passing judgment. And that's not our job. God is the judge. We're not the judge. God is. It's our job to fix the problem, not fix the blame. You know, you can't judge somebody else. Certainly can't judge their motive. I mean, how can you know understand somebody else? I don't understand my own motives most of the time. Okay, how can I sit in judgment of other people's motives? Only God can do that. So we let God judge the motive. We try and fix the problem. Number seven. You focus on reconciliation, not resolution, and there's a big difference. You know, reconciliation focuses on the relationship. Resolution focuses on trying to solve all the problems. And you are never going to solve all the problems in any relationship. You are never going to come to agreement with everybody on everything. We're just too different. You know, we're just too different. With different backgrounds, different cultures, different outlooks, different perspectives, different ages. Men and women are different. We're just different. And so we're never going to agree with anybody on everything. If you agree with somebody on everything, one of you is unnecessary. Now, can you be in a loving relationship without agreeing on everything? Well, of course you can. You can have reconciliation without resolution of every issue. In fact, learning to disagree without being disagreeable, the Bible calls that wisdom. Learning to have unity without uniformity, that's wisdom. Learning to walk hand in hand without having to see eye to eye, that's wisdom. That's what God calls us to. God calls us to focus on the relationship, not on the issues. Because some things just aren't worth arguing about. Some things aren't worth fighting over. And so you focus on the positive, not on the negative. And you seek to be a bridge builder, not a wall builder in the relationship. You are most like Christ when you are reconciling with people. You are most like Jesus Christ when you're building bridges, not walls. Because that's what Christ came to earth to do. He came to reconcile. You know, before Jesus Christ came, before you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you were at odds with God. The Bible says you were enemies with God. But when we place our faith and trust in Christ, what Christ did on the cross is God was on one side, we were on the other, we were at war We were rebels, we were in rebellion, and Christ on the cross reconciled us. He brought peace between us. So we're no longer enemies of God, we can be called God's friends. And God calls us to make peace with Him, and then He calls us to be peacemakers with one another. And maybe the reason there's no peace in your life, maybe the reason you don't even have peace with yourself, is because you've never made peace with God. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. You know, it's always more rewarding to resolve the conflict than it is to dissolve the relationship. You know, it's not easier, but it's more rewarding. And, and there are crazy makers in your life, and you may want to just dissolve the relationship and walk away from it. But I've got to tell you, you don't get any rewards in heaven for that. That's not rewarding. You don't get any joy on earth for that. That does not build your character. It does not make you more Christ-like. It is always more rewarding to resolve the conflict than to dissolve the relationship. But it starts by making your peace with God. Let's pray together. Would you just say this prayer quietly in your own heart? Just say, God, you know the conflict in my life. You know the conflict with people. You know the conflict I have with you. And and I'm tired of it, and I want to make peace. I want to make peace with you, and I want to have your peace in my life. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, because they will be called the children of God. and, And I want to be blessed, and I want to be a child of God. So God, help me to receive your peace, to receive your forgiveness of my sins. Help me to stop the war with you. May we be reconciled through my faith in Christ and through what he did on the cross. And may the peace I find with you, may I use that to make peace with others. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.